Overall sales is a very intriguing conversation. You've got people that are like, okay, this is, this is a price that I'm okay with paying and it seems like something worth getting into. But on the other side, there needs to be a seller attached to all those transactions. So where does that sweet spot happen where an expensive guy like Soto is still getting enough attention for purchases because people feel like the upside is there and Burns is in a different tier of, of cost, but it's still the same conversation. It's one of the things that makes NFT projects interesting. You gotta have both sides of it. What's up, Candy Fam? I'm Nate, that's David, and this is the Talking Candy Podcast. Each week, we take a dive into the Candy MLB NFT marketplace and give you an idea of what stood out the most to us. And while David and I each own collections of our own, none of this is financial advice. Please do your own research. We are just here to have a good time. If this podcast is helpful, useful, informative in any way, a like and a subscribe on these videos goes a long way in helping us grow this channel and reach more people. That being said, David, it's good to have you here. How you doing? I'm doing good, Nate. I'm excited to, to talk about packs. I'm excited to talk about the marketplace. There's a lot of good things happening in the candy world right now. Indeed, indeed. It was a it was a big week last week. I think it was the day after we record. It was. It was the day after we recorded this. It was moments after we posted the podcast from last week that mm -hmm. we found out new packs were coming April twelfth. By far the most exciting thing that has happened in the last couple of months. Something we've all been waiting for. So very much looking forward to that, and we are definitely going to dive into that as well. But as we do. Let's start by diving into some of the biggest sales from the week. So we've got uh, we've got three serial ones that went this weekend. None of particularly high value, but these are just a cool subset of cards. Anytime you see the serial one go, it was somebody with particular interest in that player. They were willing to pay a premium to get one of the best versions of that card. So as you can see, we've got Kevin Gossman going for 888 on his epic. Tristan Cassis going for $7.99 on his rare, and Brandon Crawford going for $11.85 on his epic. Uh, I was surprised that you didn't scoop that one up. A couple <laughs> cool giant serial ones here. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I don't mind missing out on Gosman since he was only a giant, but briefly. But I, I definitely would have loved the Brandon Crawford 1 of 30 epic. I'm saving up my balance right now, getting ready for new projects, new packs. Otherwise, that would have been a very tempting price point for me to, to pass on. Yeah, the, the epic one of 30s or, or one of 40s in the case of the uncut diamonds, those are cool because it's kind of the, the next best card after the one of one. And mm -hmm. in comparison, the Brandon Crawford one of one just sold for 25000 So to grab the one of 30 for 1100 it's a nice little budget way to get into a, a very elite card of a player that you like. So this was a cool one. We also had the Trout Serial 1 core sell last week, and this became the most expensive core sale to date. If you remember, we had the Correa 1 of 409 go for 6000 in the opening weekend. I think it was on the first day, as a matter of fact. That one, probably regrettable for the buyer based on everything that we've seen since then. Probably a little bit too quick to the trigger. This one was also quite expensive. If using the the typical 3x rule on floor mm -hmm. prices but i don't think that that is the right way to 
account for a guy like Trout, the guys in the top six. These are elite players. This is, like I said, these serial ones are, it's the only, you know, it's the only thing besides the one of one that has that elite tier to it. So it's going to be a specific, uh, specific selling price from whoever's holding that card. And yeah, so if they wanted seven grand, that's what it was going to be. And, and if somebody wasn't willing to pay it, they were going to hold it. So this was a, this was a cool one. This is a card that shows you that not everything is as simple as, as running numbers. And I, I agree with that, but I also feel like, you know, at five X or closer to six X of the core price for a trout, it, it does feel like a, a bit more, um, but those are rule of thumbs for average players and the top tier players aren't going to necessarily adhere to that same rule of thumb. So I'm sure it still feels worth it to the buyer. And if we see these trout and these Otani cores return to their 2000, 2500 price points, then 7,000 for the one of is going to feel a lot better uh, comparatively. Yeah. And I agree. I agree that, you know, putting it in a vacuum, maybe I don't make the decision to go six, seven X on this, but again, it's the kind of card where you may have just had to bite the bullet if it's something you really wanted, because it may never Mm -hmm. have moved from that price. And then if we do see it go up to two, 3000 floor, then that price is gone forever. So Mm -hmm. definitely an interesting one. Those were not, or that was not the only interesting trout on the week. We also saw two Epic trouts move and these were already an extremely rare card to to see executed in a sale. We've only seen five of them go so far, but three of them are now in the same collection because the two that went this past week on the 15th and the 16th for 18,000 and 15,000 joined one that went on January 15th opening opening day as a matter of fact. So all three of these cards are in the same collection now and they're three out of the only five that have sold total. So again, type of card where the price is what it is it's expensive it's not something that a whole lot of people are looking to move on from it's one of the 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 crown jewels that you could possibly be holding in this project in these early days right now so this was pretty cool to see three of those going into the same exact collection right and and i did have the privilege to speak with the the buyer who who purchased those three trouts and he's certainly happy with the decision he made to pull the trigger on the three of them. And he owns 10% of all Epic Trouts, just one person, 10% ownership. And Trouts are underpulled right now. If you look at Epic Trouts, you know, there's going to be 30 total someday. Currently there's only 21. There are still nine left in packs. And so this individual owns one out of every seven epic trouts three out of the 21 that have been pulled so far so it's definitely uh, an elite collection that he's building there i'm going to pull that up real quick on on serial chasers to to show what you're talking about here so we can see the five sales total three of them happening in opening week two of them on opening day and then uh let's see it looks like yeah, okay, so we've got these these two, 18,000 and 15,000 last week. Mm-hmm. But to your point, of the total 30 epics available, only 21 have been pulled. That leaves 30% or nine remaining. That's disproportionate to the 
how what percentage of packs are are unopened right now 17 percent, something in that ballpark let me just double check it's 16 percent unopened. so almost twice as many epic uh trouts mm -hmm. still available compared to what should have been pulled so super interesting card current floor is twenty four thousand. uh anytime this card moves gets pulled anything related to it it's going to be interesting so we will definitely continue to keep our eye on those mm -hmm. and jumping back to twitter we had a member of the candy fam hobsey shout out to hobsey completed his set his full all-star set and tweeted it out we retweeted it and i just wanted to to make the note that if i see anything like this i am happy to to retweet things give people shout outs shout outs and uh, it's just exciting to see other members of the community that are checking things off their to-do list and their hit list and having some little little and big wins along the way. So mm -hmm. if you're doing something that's exciting, tag Talking Candy NFT, happy to retweet it, happy to give some love. Uh, so congrats to Hobbsy on that one. Yeah, and uh, what, I, what sticks out to me the most is those three blue cards, um, all St. Louis Cardinals. And so you know where his loyalty lies. He's got cores across the board and that splash of blue for his uh, preferred team. Yep, love it. And then the uh, kind of the, the finale of the top of the show here is we've got new packs coming. So mm -hmm. Candy announced it last week and April 12th is the date. We don't know much more beyond that. We do know that the, the chaser for the Sweet Futures basketball is going to come with the added utility of early access to these candy digital baseball packs it won't be the only route to get early access we don't know the other avenues to get that i think that we're all speculating that if the sweet futures chaser is going to come with that utility that the both the prospect and all-star set chasers are going to come with that utility as well at least that's each of our speculation uh, I think mm -hmm. many would share that viewpoint, but it'll be interesting to see what other things they may or may not throw in. That could be it. It could be that simple. It could be anything else. It, you know, who knows? Who knows what they have up their sleeve? It could be for owning a particular type of card. It could be owning, uh, you know, any number of things, a different r particular rarity. But mm -hmm. bottom line, April 12th, packs are coming. Get your candy balances ready. Uh, this is round two. Yeah, I can't wait to get more details on that. As most of us remember, back in October, packs cost $50 a piece. They came with three moments each. And those packs are currently selling for over $1,100 still on those all-star packs. Now we expect that the packs this time around aren't only going to contain all-stars. It's going to be a much wider range of players. So you're going to have your you know, third and fourth arm from the bullpen perhaps showing up. You're going to have your utility players who don't see play necessarily every day. Uh, you're going to have, you know, not as many hits, you know, across the board the same way you have with only the All-Stars. Uh, but personally, I'm very excited, and I'm hoping that there'll be more players, but that they'll keep the mint counts close to where they are right now. You know, because with that all-star set, there's just 620 mints per player. And if they can keep it there, or if they don't go up too much higher, you know, 750 mints per player, 
800, so, you know, less than a thousand would be my own preference. But if they expand to include, you know, 300, 400, 500 players instead of the 81, that would be a good way for them to have more packs to sell while not going too far overboard on those mint sizes. Because even with the 620, we've seen, you know, some players that are just misses in terms of value. They just don't have enough people who want to own their copies to hold on to that value. And if you expand that roster even more, um, it it's going to water down the value of these, you know, of these players. Yeah, the these first two sets that we have here are they're kind of like training wheel sets where mm -hmm. there there was nothing horrible that you were going to pull the worst case scenario was that you were going to get a stud reliever on on a given team so guys like gregory soto and alex reyes and mark melanson are guys that that ended up you know towards the bottom of the of the overall hierarchy but there's still guys that are holding far above their pack rip value and you know two two and three x's on those so mm -hmm. once we get this set with like you like you said utility players bench players and we don't it remains to be seen how deep they go it could be 300 players it could be 500 players but there is there is going to be not only a greater opportunity to pull something that you're not necessarily thrilled about but what i'm excited about on the back end in the secondary market is that it's going to mean that we have more opportunities to cherry pick players that that we have a particular affinity towards or mm -hmm. feel that there's upside and a gap between what their current price is and what they could do throughout the baseball season. And so this is something that I've personally been doing for many years in MLB The Show, leveraging the fact that you've got guys that are undervalued for their, their preseason rating, stacking up a bunch of those guys and and believing that they're going to go to to higher ranks as the year progresses. And I think that this is going to provide the opportunity to do something like that. And I've spoken how spoken to the point of how I've done that with Brian Reynolds. I know that there's plenty of people that, that are stacking prospects in particular. That's always been mm -hmm. a an avenue in terms of prospect collecting. So I am very much looking forward to the fact that these packs will come with that ability to to look a little bit deeper to leverage some fantasy baseball knowledge, to leverage some MLB The Show knowledge, and and take some flyers on some guys and, and see if you can hit on some guys that, that have upside throughout the season. And I like that you mentioned fantasy baseball because that's one of the reasons why I feel pretty strongly that there will be more players in this pack rather than fewer. Why I think it's going to skew towards the five or even 600 players versus the 250 or 300 because they've already released that FAQ asking for people what they're looking for in a candy fantasy baseball type of environment. And having more players will kind of unlock the ability to have a more customizable fantasy experience on their platform. If you only gave us half of each roster, that's going to feel fairly limiting when we're trying to put together a fantasy team of some of the best performers if they're not even included in the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that it's um it's a balance, right? Because you don't need you don't need all the deepest players to make it work. It it'll depend on what the format of of the fantasy baseball gamification looks like. 
mm-hmm. when it when you look at regular fantasy baseball, it depends on your league size. Are there eight teams in your league or are there 15 teams in your league? And that's going to dictate some things. Are the rosters deep or are they shallow? So there are ways to do it where where you are focused more on the top tier guys. And that's how fantasy sports work in general. But the more difficult leagues will go deeper with keepers, deeper roster sizes, more more managers. So it'll depend on what Mm -hmm. the game looks like. Hopefully there are different versions of the game. I know you and I have both given some feedback. We both filled out that survey. I think that some of the questions were were a little bit surface level in terms of, you know, what should the format be? I think that less important than the actual format is making sure that they come up with something that caters to multiple different game modes for multiple different Mm -hmm. types of collectors because everybody has a different quantity of cards. Everybody has a different value of cards. Not everybody can afford the cards above the core level, depending on if they got in on Mm -hmm. packs uh, at the $50 value or if they entered secondary. We don't know how many packs people are going to be able to acquire on this second drop. So I'm just hoping that they find ways to maybe create divisions or just test run a a few different game modes that allow for a deeper league with more options versus maybe a shallow league where you just pick five stars and you're and you're going up a bunch of going up against Mm -hmm. a bunch of different people. And it's a little something for everybody. I think that there's a lot of room for for play here and hopefully they try some different things in route to to finding the right thing. Yeah. And we both want to find out more information as well, like you said, about the different ways to qualify for the packs. And hopefully in the next week or two, we'll have those answers. We'll know how many total packs. We'll know how many packs you're allowed to purchase if you qualify for early access. Um, Personally, I'd like to know if different early access methods will stack with each other. If I qualify from my sweet future chaser, and I qualify from my all-star set chaser, do I get both or am I restricted now to just the one or the other? You know, there's lots of information still to find out, but we should see another announcement. I'm hoping this week that will clarify some of that for us. I would imagine so. We are only three weeks away, two weeks, two and a half weeks away from baseball. So everything Mm -hmm. is, is coming to a head here. The information, I'm sure, is around the corner, but obviously we are excited. Everything we've been waiting for is very near, and mm-hmm. it'll be exciting to see how many packs we can get our hands on, and hopefully we'll have some uh, some packs to open on the show here. We'll see. We'll see what we come up with. But And people will have to keep that in mind when they're making their sales, uh, because there is still a seven-day window on getting access to that candy balance. So if you're planning to spend candy balance on those packs, that means you're going to want to be making your sales by April 5th. Mm -hmm. If you're still chasing a set and you're trying to complete that set by March 31st uh, and you're raising candy balance, that means you're going to want to make your sales by this Thursday, you know, March 24th, or else you're not going to have your balance until after March 31st to check a couple more things off your list. So that seven day, that seven day window is still a consideration that you have to kind of plan around when you're uh, considering candy balance for your purchases. For sure, dates to remember: March thirty first, April fifth. Mark your calendars. All right, should we jump into the 
the set floors and uh, take a look at, at what we had this week. Let's get into it. All right, so new graphic here this week, Just plotting out a line chart, showing what the floors have been along the way. And for me, I'm just a very visual person. So this is helpful for me. Obviously you can see the big spike in that first week where we had the all-star set up above 15,000. I think it was somewhere around 16.5 at its absolute peak. It was short-lived. And mm -hmm. as we have talked about, but not shown this, this type of visual, everything has been a slow bleed over the last couple months as to be expected. No news was bad news for a while, <laughs> but we do have some interesting little points here over the last couple weeks where we see on 3.6 to 3.13 was the, the first little run up after the CBA announcement. Good news, mm -hmm. got a little bounce. So the All-Stars have come back down just a bit, kind of just sitting, waiting, but the Uncut Diamonds have continued their uptrend. And I know it's a little bit hard to see on this chart just because of the scale with having the All-Stars on there, but the the Uncut Diamonds is an interesting one. It has it has continued to move up. We've seen some guys like CJ Abrams, who I know we're going to talk about, have big weeks. And I think that there's just an, a little added excitement about the prospects right now that is not currently injected into the All-Star set. And it's cool to look at. Yeah, it's definitely uh, very encouraging to see them put up green numbers two weeks in a row, especially after a solid month of downtrend. And I think to, to speak to what you were saying, you know, the fact that we're seeing the performance of some of these prospects, um, you know, playing, playing ball right now, um, that gives a bit more enthusiasm to picking up extra copies to, to staying focused on those prospects as they, uh, you know, start their seasons. For sure. Uh, also, shout out to NS9. They're doing a cool job of tweeting out a prospect of the day right now, showing their floor prices. They're highlighting a guy mm -hmm. that, that had a particularly good night, and that was what raised my attention to CJ Abrams. So definitely check those guys out. Let me pull up the, the weekly movement in the All-Stars. Yeah, uh, we had some good movement again this week. We didn't have any numbers quite as high as we saw last week on the All-Stars, but they're close, and they're still higher than they were two, three weeks ago. This week I did highlight uh, a player at each uh, at each rarity just to, to showcase someone who had a particularly good week. Uh, Rafael Devers, you know, he moved seven cores, but in addition to those sales, he saw a pretty significant price increase on his cores. It had settled down to 140, and it's up again this week to 169. And that's on the back of those seven sales, so that's a solid you know, 20-21% increase on his cores. For the Uncommons, we saw Shane Bieber making some price moves, uh, moving four cores himself, but his price increase was pretty substantial on those four cores. His Uncommon price got down to $99 and it's back up to 145 right now 46% increase and so if you see a name highlighted in blue right now that that's the reason why because it's just it's not just that they made sales it's that we saw a pretty significant impact from those sales now you see on epic we had Mike Trout with those two epic sales 
So we highlighted that. We, we touched upon that already with the, the tweet that went out. But on rares, we have a, a rare sight to see. Someone selling six rares in a single week with Matt Olson there. And I believe you put together a graphic for that one as well. Yes. Yeah, so we got pretty pretty interesting week across the board here from, from Olsen, who was our number one mover on the week across the board. But to your point, those six rare sales, that just doesn't really happen. And mm-hmm. But in addition to the volume, the volume didn't tell the whole story because we saw a drop in floor price on the cores while we saw a rise in the floor price of the rares. And the uncommons pretty much sat there staying the same. But yeah, five mm-hmm. cores three uncommons and six rare sales and all tied you have to imagine to his move to atlanta this is mm-hmm. a a project that is tied to real baseball players real athletes that are moving team to team their performances will dictate price movement as well and it was exciting it's exciting to currently be in some real talk about real baseball and seeing how the movement within real baseball has impact on the movement within the project. Right, and especially as we see players move from smaller market teams to larger market teams or teams that are just playing particularly well, uh, you're going to see more enthusiasm gravitate towards those players. And it's no knock against Oakland Athletics fans, um, but right now the Braves are the reigning champions, and so you can't really compete with, with that at the moment. Um, in terms of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You, you did mention the core price did dip compared to one week ago, um, but I did want to note that that core price of 67, uh, that is still up compared to two weeks ago. Uh, he just happened to have seen a particularly big rise last week, and so uh, this is more of a normalization of price, and it still has some room to go up again. I'm going to pull that chart up as well because it is an interesting one. You can see starting back on March 8th, we had a sale for $37 and it has just continuously gone up and up and up until around the 15th of March. And then, yeah, we had, we had one sale for $67 yesterday and we've got the floor that has settled back down in a little bit. It's currently sitting at 70, but yes, Mm -hmm. to your point in general, and we, we touched on this last podcast, his, his price has gone up and and it's all tied to to his trade to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Let me jump back into the the weekly move. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you do see that that put Olson at the top for the week with fourteen total sales. Um, but on the overall column, I did highlight Freddie Freeman this week uh, because he was one of the few uh, big movers that moved a card at every rarity. Uh, and when it comes to rare sales and epic sales, not every player is moving a card every single week. Uh, but Freddie Freeman, uh, in spite of finishing in the middle on that top list for overall sales, uh, he definitely spread spread his sales out, selling two cores, three uncommons, three rares, and one epic. And so he had a very well-rounded sales week, which generally kept his prices uh, they didn't jump or fall too much but it was just across the board a, a good week of sales for freddie freeman there and i don't know if 
you checked on where those three rares went, but they all sold on the same day. They all sold on the 17th. And they went for 750, 777, and 800. So effectively the same price. An interesting grouping anytime you see the same card selling that type of volume all on the same day. Always raises the question. I, I did miss that. And now that I'm looking at it, uh, those sales occurred just minutes apart. So it's possible that someone was taking a, a pretty big gamble or a, placing a pretty large bet on the value of those Freddie Freeman rares. Um, and they saw value at that 750 to 800 price point. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same person snatching all three of them up with the fact that those sales came just minutes from one another. So Very likely. It's a good thing to point out there. All right, let's take a look at the, the all-time. Yeah, we, we saw some some ranking shakeups on the all-time list for the All-Stars. Now, if you're just looking at the overall list, you're still going to see Yusei Kikuchi sitting there at the top. And, you know, Juan Soto still in second place. Didn't gain much ground this week either. But there were, across the rarities, um, some some good positional changes occurring. Uh, Rafael Devers in the core column moved into second place, leapfrogging Yu Darvish, which is going to be a theme across the list because if you look down there on on uncommons uh buster posey moved into three after leapfrogging you darvish walker bueller cracking the list uh really no change in terms of order on rare and epics there were quite a few rare sales made this week just very few to people who had already sold a high number uh juan soto did have one extra sale himself going from 38 to 39 but most of the people with multiple sales in that rare category only had 15 or so heading into the week. So despite having a big week, it wasn't enough to push them onto that list. Uh, not too many epic sales either, with Whit Merrifield making a couple epic sales to push his way to the bottom of that list. Uh, but then overall, we see Corbin Burns moved up several spots to leapfrog you Darvish. Uh, Rafael Devers, um, he edged out Ozzy Albies to hold the sixth spot. Uh, Acuna uh, jumped over Trey Turner to get into eighth. And Jose Ramirez, the only new name on the overall list, after having a, a good number of sales himself. In fact, he uh, yeah he was one of the ones that had nine sales this week. And so that was enough to, to crack the overall list. Just pulling up uh, Corbin Burns here real quick. He's been a name that I feel like has come up several shows in a row now. And he just keeps bumping up another spot, mm-hmm. another two spots on that overall list. This is Cy Young winner, a guy that I personally grabbed a few of. I know I've spoken to this before. He just didn't seem to be getting the the right level of respect. I don't know if it's because people just don't believe it until they fully see it. Although I feel like a Cy Young is seeing it. He was already mm-hmm. nasty the couple of years leading up to that. And to see his volume continue to to increase and we're seeing a, an uptick in his core prices just creeping up. It had been down somewhere in the 60 to 70 range and it's just kind of moved its way up. The most recent sale was actually 124. That was a low, a low 22 serial. So probably had some impact on it. A lot of mm-hmm. these others are are kind of middling serials, but 
yeah, this is a guy that that has as much upside as anybody in terms of becoming one of the the new solidified stars of the MLB. So cool to see his name continuing to creep up the list there. And I'll just pull up Jose Ramirez real quick as well, because mm-hmm. why not? It was nine core sales, you said, or nine overall. Nine overall sales nine overall. for Jose Ramirez. Uh, yeah, six cores, three uncommons, and nothing above that this week. Gotcha. Yeah, so nothing too crazy to look at here, but always nice to have the visual. So, mm-hmm. well, And as someone makes their way onto that overall list, that does speak to the consistency that they're able to drive sales. Um, I did look back on where Corbin Burns ranked when we started these graphics a few weeks ago, and he was you know, sixth or seventh place, now pushed his way into the top three behind only Juan Soto and Yusei Kikuchi. And so um, if Juan has some more kind of lackluster weeks, Corbin Burns may be the one who ends up challenging uh, Yusei Kikuchi for that top spot if he keeps it up. And because his prices aren't as high as Juan Soto's, it's not as unreasonable to think that there could be, you know, 10 or 11 sales that he puts up each week because it's not going to cost four or 500 apiece. The... The overall sales is a very intriguing conversation because it means that you've got people on both sides of the coin that are interested in that transaction. So you've got a number of people feeling like, okay, Corbin Burns, Juan Soto, Kukuji's his own conversation, but let's just talk about (laughs) Burns and Soto. And you've got people that are like, okay, this is this is a price that I'm okay with paying and it seems like something worth getting into. But on the other side, there needs to be a seller attached to all those transactions. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of people saying, okay, there's liquidity here. People are interested in it. It's a relatively easy one to, to generate funds, whether you're looking to cash out or reinvest. And so yeah, it's it's where does that sweet spot happen where a guy, an expensive guy like Soto is still getting enough attention for purchases because people feel like the upside is there. And Burns is in a different tier of, of cost, but it's still the same conversation of it's just mm-hmm. making sense on both sides of the equation for the buyer and the seller. And that's one of the things that makes NFT projects interesting. It's that you got to have both sides of it. Right. And I think um, it's good of you to mention that because I think too often I'm just looking at the willingness of people to buy at the prices wherever they happen to be, but they don't happen to be there for no reason. Those prices are there because either someone got in at a particular price and, and that's where they're willing to let go, or you know it could be a card that they didn't pay much for because they pulled it from a pack, but it still has value to them uh, in, in terms of their perceived value of what that player should be worth. And so it isn't just how willing someone is to pay a price, as you mentioned. Yep. And I also wonder with a guy like Corbin Burns, if there's a level of, if there's an education gap there, because he is somebody that you need to have a little bit more of an understanding of the MLB to know his relevance. He was the Cy Mm -hmm. Young winner, but he's not a huge name yet. And just like you could ask a lot of people who Juan Soto is, and they are not going to know who he is the way that they might know who a top basketball player is. There just isn't mm-hmm. that same type of, of visibility 
with a guy. You know, LeBron's is it's LeBron Soto is not a fair comparison, but Trout <laughs> Tr- Trout LeBron is a relatively fair comparison, and you're gonna have a whole lot mm-hmm. more people knowing who LeBron is than Trout. And so when you look at that with with Soto, when you look at that with Burns, there's there's maybe a lack of of value being given to a guy like Burns because he's just not as huge a name yet, even though he has as much potential as anybody. Mm-hmm. Should we jump into the uncut diamonds? Uh, yeah, I think that was pretty good on the all-stars there. A oh, lot to, lot to keep an eye on, but let's, let's look at the weekly sales. And as referenced before CJ Abrams right up at the top with 18 sales, he is four for six over the last week with two home runs to start spring training. So the hype along with his performance has correlated to his overall sales. Right. Uh, I, I like that you, you're looking into that because that's something that I don't think I pay enough attention to is how these players are, are actually performing from day to day, from week to week. And I think we can see that pretty clearly here. Uh, you see C.J. Abrams highlighted at the top of that overall list, but you can also find his name on all four of the other lists, you know, at the top of core and uncommon and cracking the bottom of the rare and epic lists as well. So he moved cards, not quite as many as Nick Gonzalez did last week. He didn't put up a 20 spot, but 18 is impressive. And you can see, you can see that just across the whole page there uh, with his name showing up again and again. I would say his 18 this week is more impressive than Nick Gonzalez last week because Nick Gonzalez was amongst a whole bunch of huge numbers, unlike anything we had seen in a given week. But for Abrams, he's just, I mean, Cavalli at 14, impressive, and there's some 13s on there. But when you look at that whole list, that 18 really stands out compared to the rest of the list. So it's very exciting to me to finally see some real baseball tying into this project because... I think that that's where the real, real opportunities present themselves. And that's fair, because Nick Gonzalez, he did definitely benefit from having a high sales week during that CBA week, uh, and that carried everyone, I think, to some higher numbers. But this was just C.J. Abrams doing it by himself and, and you know, distancing himself from the field in a week that didn't have such a big news cycle. And one now, of, um, I was just going to we'll pull go up C.J. Abrams' uncut chart here because he had one in particular sold for $300. It was Serial 8. Now, I don't know what his jersey is. These cards don't say the jersey, and this picture doesn't show it, so I would have to look that up. But I don't know if that's his jersey or if it's just a product of the of being a low serial. It's not absurdly high compared to what it, you know, but it is double. So I'm not sure if if eight is his jersey or not, but it's also a risky maneuver paying up for a prospect jersey because you don't really know Mm -hmm. what they're going to get when they get up there. So same thing that we've seen with some of the Sweet Futures stuff, unsure about, you know, valuing jerseys because these guys are in college. It doesn't mean that they're still going to pull that that jersey into the pros if they get that far. So I don't know. Are you looking that up? Now, a quick Google is listing C.J. Abrams at 87 but that might just be minor league jersey. Yeah. So it, they, they may be looking at something else. But it's possible that that 300 was just valuing number eight 
just as a single digit number. Uh, some people do give uh, some outsized influence to those low numbers, even if it's not the number one. Uh, but maybe they know something we don't. Maybe there is a, a possibility of him flying number eight in, in the bigs. That'd be some, some that'd good be, insider information. Mm-hmm. That would be a, a very calculated risk that might pay off for them. Yep. I'll go back to the uh, to the weekly movement. To the weekly? Or okay. did you want to go did you want to shift to the all time? Uh, let me just touch on the other highlighted names on okay. the weekly real quick. And it was the same as the All-Stars. I've highlighted the ones that not only made sales, but saw some pretty big price moves. And so uh, we saw Bobby Witt Jr. with those nine sales uh, increase his core price by 54%. We saw Francisco Alvarez with those three sales increase his uncommon price by 26%. Uh, Rutschman increased his rare price by 33% with two sales. And Brendan Davis with an impressive three epics increasing his epic price 31 percent and so those are some pretty big jumps on the back of those sales for each of those players and so i'm not sure uh, if some of those like those three epics i don't know if it was just they got priced to move or if there was some other factor like we saw with abrams that was driving those brennan sales Uh, but three epics in one week is pretty significant so pulling up the Pulling up the Brennan Davis epics here, it looks like besides the the serial one, which went for mm-hmm. thirteen hundred on the thirteenth, it looks like the rest of them were were in line with with what they have been going for. If anything, on the higher end, not that there's been a huge volume mm-hmm. uh, since February twenty second, we've seen six of these go, six hundred, four twenty five, which probably got picked up quickly, five thirty. And then of these last three, 550, 600, and then the serial one went for 1300. So serial one, 1300 feels like pretty, pretty reasonable there, about a 2.5 multiplier. Uh, and mm-hmm. the other ones that went seem to go relatively in line with, with what he's being priced at. So yeah, it doesn't look like they were particularly snipes. They were just somebody decided they wanted some Davis in their life. <laughs> yeah, well... They got him, and it's uh, with any of these prospects. There's a lot of upside on, on these on these high rarity cards. Uh, if any one of them goes on to have a fantastic career, that's gonna be a major. It, just can you imagine having the Otani rookie card or the Trout rookie card at the prices they're seeing right now on their All Star cards? You know, having the very first NFT for a player would be huge if they go on to become that level of superstar. Absolutely. I mean, the the desire to have rookie cards is already a huge thing, but in baseball, Bowman, for those who aren't familiar, that's the, the crown jewel of getting the first Bowman of, mm-hmm. of these new prospects. So this is the equivalent of that. This is the first iteration of prospect baseball cards. This is the Bowman of NFTs right now. And... Uh, I just pulled up the the Bobby Witt as well. This is a guy that sold 210 cores. I mean, the the volume, the the increase in his floor price over the last week or so. Probably a guy that I'm gonna regret not grabbing one of. I I'm a little bit. I I lean towards 
the All-Stars. One, because it's what I know better, but two, because it just comes with a little bit less risk betting on a guy that's already in the bigs to do more. But mm -hmm. I commend everybody that does their research on this stuff because it really is one of the more exciting parts of baseball. It's something that I've slowly gotten a little bit more interested in. And honestly, MLB The Show has been something that has exposed me a little bit more to prospects because they've started implementing prospect cards into the game. So it is, it is really cool to look at what these things could be when you compare them to these all-star prices. These cards are going to be in far more, far higher demand for any of the players that do actually hit. And it's going to be really cool mm -hmm. to see if Witt blows up, if Davis blows up, if C.J. Abrams blows up, you know, some of these guys are going to have big years and then it's going to be really fun data to look at and see how the market reacts to, OK, this might be something really, really special. Mm -hmm. and, and I know when I completed my Uncut Diamond set, it was difficult paying high prices for some of these players that I'm just not very familiar with. Um, I was checking when I bought my. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. core, I paid two seventy five for it, uh, which at the time was a bargain because they they were mostly selling in the mid to high 300s. And so I, I got a bit of a snipe uh, on that particular day. Um, but then as we saw a decline in the market, I started to regret it just a little bit because his price fell back below what I paid for it. Um, but this past week has been more of a return to form for him. Uh, but the point I was trying to make is if you bought the whole set, then you're kind of hedging your bets because if only two or three of these players go on to have fantastic careers, that could recover your entire investment on the set uh, based upon the few who who go on to become stars. And when you look at these these curated players that, that Candy selected to include in this set, many of them are rated as some of the best prospects in baseball. You know, if you look at the, you know, a top 30 list of prospects, the ones included in this, uncommon, uh, this uncut diamond set are a, a pretty high number of them, making, you know, making the top of that list. Yeah, this was a, as far as gambling on prospects go, I really like the way that you just kind of put a bow on that, which is that if you just look at it as the whole thing, which right now we're sitting right around 3000 for the whole set. It's if you are betting on both the candy digital product as a whole and being early to it combined with the, the multiplier that could occur with a player blowing up, it is not hard to imagine that a Bobby Witt core on its own could at some point make up half or all of that set all on its own. Mm -hmm. If he were to true, now I'm not talking about in the short term, I don't mean this year, but I mean, if you're somebody that is holding these cards and, and this project goes on to be what we all believe it's capable of being, and you combine that with the player actually blowing up, anything is possible here. So yeah, for the long-term investor, it's, it seems like you've got, you've got 30 lottery tickets and you don't need very many of them to hit to to have it maintain mm -hmm. the value of what will inevitably have some cards that, that fall off as well. Right. And I find it far more difficult to believe that all 30 of these players are going to fail to make a splash, you know, based upon how they're currently projected to do. 
So it, it wouldn't even require fantastic odds to see some of these players stick around and the, in the major leagues for quite some time. Certainly. Were there any? Was there anything else on the all-time uncut that you wanted to to touch on uh, there? The most impressive thing is just C.J. Abrams, uh, his name in the blue up there in the fifth spot. His name is blue because he wasn't on the overall top ten last week, but he not only crashed onto the list, but drove himself halfway up that list with his 18 sales this week. Um, otherwise, there weren't too many other significant changes, just a couple uh, minor positional changes here and there, and a couple new names showing up on the bottom of those lists. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy one because since you added in these blue highlights for the the new entrance onto any given list, we have not seen a guy. I don't think I don't think we've seen a guy jump that high up onto a list uh, on his first week. So typically, it's the it's the Brennan Davis or the Spencer Torkelson going into that that lowest spot and then working their way up. But to mm-hmm. have him catapult all the way up into the middle, especially when you consider. Torkelson's down there. Davis is down there at 272, 264. That's a big jump up to, to 283. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool week. And again, beating a dead horse, but cool to see that it's tied to real baseball performance. So that does it for baseball data. Let's quickly touch on the final Sweet Futures drop for college basketball. It's going on right now. By the time we release this, it'll be yesterday. But the the crown jewel of these sweet future basketball drops was always going to be Chet Holmgren. That came out today. He's the stud on Gonzaga, expected to be a lottery pick into the NBA. And like we've touched on before, just one of the cool things about this is that it's a little something for everybody. You've got the open mint on the cores, which limits the time, but not the quantity. The rares and the epics, those both sold out pretty much right away. Those were limited in quantity, but not time. Unlike some of the the previous players, the epics sold out similar to the Duren epics almost right away. The rare sold out within 15, 20 minutes. And the legendary one of one you can bid on on Bitski. So check those out. It's uh, Holmgren and Kendall Brown. But with that, that is all we've got. My name is Nate. That's David. This is the Talking Candy Podcast. And we will see you guys in the next one.